Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. And if you wouldn't mind, we have to, uh, before we get into the sermon, uh, a bit of uh, housekeeping. One uh, thing the elders have asked me to do, if you wouldn't mind, there's some white pieces of paper at the end of the rows. Um, if you wouldn't mind grabbing one of those, you could even use a piece of your bulletin for this. Uh, there's a, an aspect of the introspection process that, that still needs to be done. And if you wouldn't mind grabbing one of those pieces of paper and numbering it one through six, uh, it's just a real quick survey. It's just going to take us a second. Um, just a real quick survey. So six questions. Uh, first question, do you prefer hymns or contemporary worship songs? Which one do you prefer? Write that down. Uh, question number two, uh, you have school-aged children. Which form of schooling do you participate in? Do you uh, do public school? Do you do Christian school? Do you homeschool? Uh, if you don't have kids at home or whatever, uh, just which, which do you think is the best option? Uh, question number three, does your household observe Halloween? Do you do Halloween, trick-or-treating, whatever? Do you do it or not? Uh, number four, fourth one, do you watch movies? And if so, do you go to the theater? Do you, do you watch them at home, both and? And what is the highest rating of a movie that you would go to? Just G movies? Would you go to PG? Would you go to PG-13? Would you go to a rated R movie? Uh, number five, for those who are over the age of 21, do you drink alcoholic beverages? And then number six, how many tattoos do you have? Just put down a number. And then here's the other thing the elders have instructed me to, for you to do with that piece of paper. Tear it up into tiny, little, itty-bitty pieces <laughs> and throw it away. <laughs> Maybe not right now. We don't all want to be rushing for the, the garbage cans, but uh, that's what they would like you to do. <laughs> and I, I appreciate them playing along with me this morning as I took their names in vain. Um, <laughs> but how did that feel? How, how did it feel to answer those questions where you're thinking, well, that's none of their business? Were you thinking, well, of course I can do that? Or were you kind of looking at your neighbor's page thinking, I wonder if they do that? All of these matters, these activities, I would say fall in a category of what's sometimes called matters of indifference. Uh, not because they, they don't matter at all, uh, but because there's, there's not a sort of slam-dunk Bible passage that you can go to and say, hey, this is absolutely the way Christians must behave in these regards. I would say on all of the, the issues that I raised and a plethora of many others that I'm sure you can think of or even right now, there are Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians who would say, I am absolutely free to do that and engage in that. And then there are other Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians who say, you know what, I do not, my conscience doesn't allow me to participate in that. I don't think it would be good for my soul and my sanctification. And probably all of us, maybe we lean even one way more or the other in terms of some of these things. And you know maybe what the, the, the sort of two extremes on, in these cases are. Uh, you know, for those who... who feel like, you know what, we, we, we can't do certain things and we want to make sure that we don't do them, let's, let's set up some rules. 
uh, not just to not do that, but not to do anything that would even be close to that. Um, you know, we call that legalism, right? Setting up rules that aren't in the Bible, rules that don't that don't that the Bible doesn't give us, and then and then applying them not usually just to us, but to other people. Other people ought to follow my rules as well. But then there's the other side of the story. We have freedom in Christ. It says right so in the script. Says so right in the scriptures. Whom the Lord has set free, Jesus has set free, is free indeed. We're not bound. We're no longer under the law. And so I've got a blank check. And and it doesn't even matter. I don't. Well, okay. There's there's some people who don't think think that's a good thing to do. Forget about them. I'm free in Jesus. And we sometimes call that uh, license uh, to be licentious. And maybe you lean maybe a little bit more, you're a little bit more toward the legalistic end, or maybe you're a little bit more toward the freedom and, and license end. But if you're like me, you know, I'm an inconsistent human being. <laughs> there's some things I'm probably pretty legalistic about, and then there's other things I'm like, eh, it's all good. Well, that issue, that 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 pull that we feel, and even some of those feelings you might have sensed as you were filling out that mock survey, um, that I think is why this portion of Scripture is so helpful for us this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 23, the portion we're going to look at through the end of the chapter, and we're going to dip just a little bit, the first verse into chapter 11, because uh, while God's Word is completely inspired and authoritative, the uh, chapter and verse uh, divisions are not. And so it's a better break after chapter 11, verse 1. But the reason this passage that we're looking at is so needed in the church is because we, know how, we need to know how to live together within these tensions as the body of Christ and how to serve one another. And we need to know how to, how to be a witness and how to be an example to the world around us and, and to point them to Christ. How, how we address these issues says much about the gospel's transforming work in our lives. Here, here's a question that you might want to write down as we begin this morning. Is the gospel transforming my relationships or am I more concerned either with my rights or my restrictions? Is the gospel transforming my relationships, our relationships in the body, or or are we more concerned with our position on some of these issues? You see, this passage that we're in, and really this whole section beginning at chapter 8, verse 1, going through chapter 11, uh, verse 1. Yeah, Paul is addressing a concern that they wrote to him about. The whole issue of can they eat meat that has been sacrificed and had been dedicated to idols, and specifically, can they eat it within the temple where it was dedicated to the idol? Uh, but, But Paul goes way beyond that. He shows that that the real issue isn't so much what you can and can't do. The real issue is how will we relate to one another within the body of Christ? And how will we relate to the world that's out there as well? So let's look at this from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Read God's word for us. Chapter 10, verse 23, uh, going through verse 1 of chapter 11. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, All things are lawful, But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. 
Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising a question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, or all things in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising a question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been sacrificed and this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. This is God's holy word, and we give him thanks for it, for its truth, for its power in our lives. We're going to work through this passage uh, this morning in three movements, and I want to give you those uh, right off the bat. It's all about freedom this morning, right? We've, we understand uh, last week and from the Bible in general that there is a paradigm of freedom in the Bible, that uh, the the whole story of God's delivering his people out of slavery in Egypt is a picture of the Christian life. That when a person comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, they have been released from the slavery, released from the bondage of of the devil and of their sin, and now they are free. And that, that picture of the Israelites walking through the water of of the Red Sea parted and the cloud over them. We learned last time is a picture of of baptism being being purified and cleansed through Jesus and then being incorporated into uh, God's people just as the people received uh, God's constitution, uh, the law, the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And he he made them a people and he engrafted them together. And so that's a a picture of who we are as God's people. And now we're, we're on this journey to the promised land. But we've been set free. Jesus is our, is our liber, liberator. So the question is now, how do I exercise my freedom? How free am I? These three movements this morning. First, we want to see three general guidelines for Christian freedom from some, some big picture things that Paul is teaching us and the Spirit is teaching us this morning that we can apply to exercising our Christian freedom. And then dial down a little bit more, three specific principles, from the general to the specific, specific principles for exercising our Christian freedom. And then Paul's going to kind of blow the lid off the whole thing, blow the roof off it and go really big picture with one ruling reality for all of life. This applies to all of life, not just the exercise of our freedom. So let's look first at verses 23 and 24. General guidelines for Christian freedom. And the first is this. Freedom is not absolute. Uh, Paul says, quotes them when they, from their letter, all things are lawful. All things are lawful. It might sound familiar. He, he quoted them before in chapter 6, verse 12. Again, he is writing in response to them. They've, they've written to him 
Uh, particularly, there's, there seems to be a, a powerful faction, or maybe even it's ma- the majority of the church that says, hey, we can go to these dinners that are in these pagan temples. The food has been sacrificed to an idol, but we know that an idol is not a real thing. And so we may eat there, you know, and, and they just kind of want Paul's sort of stamp of approval on that. Well, if you remember from last week, uh, far from giving a stamp of approval, if you look up at verse Uh, 14 in the chapter, Paul makes it really clear. He's been working through this over the last three chapters, but here he comes to his ruling and his his pronouncement, and it's it's very simple. Flee from idolatry. You have no business being in that temple. Yes, an idol is not a thing, but what is being worshipped is, in fact, has to do with demons. There There is a real world that we can't see, God is real, but so are the forces of evil. And so you have no business being in that place where, where demons essentially are being worshipped. Now, that Paul has covered. But it could be real easy for a Christian in a context like that to say, okay, so I need to stay away from, from meat sacrificed to idols altogether. Because there were other ways to come into contact with meat that had been sacrificed uh, to idols. You could buy it in the marketplace to just... Typically, where you'd buy your food in the market, the meat, some of it, maybe a lot of it, would have been uh, offered in sacrifice. Part of it was burned, part of it was sold. Or somebody might invite you over to their home, and they might serve you meat sacrificed, dedicated to an idol. And Paul here, you're going to see, is going to say, now, now, wait a second. I'm not saying that can't happen. I'm saying you can't be in the temples participating in that. And so Paul wants to clarify because they've written to him and their initial, initial sort of point and sort of piece of evidence was we're, all things are lawful for me. And that, that word lawful is, is the word uh, that can be translated rights. In other words, I have a right to this. And it's, it's, it, they might even be using Paul's words against him. It's very possible that Paul, in the course of his time, several years before, when he was uh, planting that church and discipling the Corinthians had, had said something like that, you know, maybe even in a message like this or something, said, hey, you guys are free. You're not under the law uh, anymore. And so you have freedom. All things are lawful. So they might even be throwing Paul's words back at him. But Paul, Paul says, no, no, wait a second. Freedom is not absolute. All things are lawful, but. All things are lawful, but. Uh, your rights are not the only item of consideration. I mean, with this, with this, all things are lawful, they sort of sound like a, 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 a toddler on his toy drum who can only play one note, right? I don't want to work. I just want to bang on the drum all day. Bump, bump, bump. All things are lawful for me. All things are lawful for me. All things are lawful for me. All things are lawful. This is their favorite doctrine. <laughs> and Paul says, now, now, wait a second. There's a, there's a bigger picture. There are a few other things that you need to consider here. Namely, uh, your brothers and sisters and, and the people uh, in your community. It's interesting. We, we, uh, this whole idea of, of rights and my freedom, it's, it's such a, it's something that um, we're obviously understanding from Paul that it's not... Uh, It's not limited to our culture and context, but it certainly is a big aspect of our culture, isn't it? Uh, Just that that I am, in general, I am free to do what I want, and and nobody better put any limitations on that. Listen to how uh, Tim Keller talks about freedom in our culture and how 
naturally we think of freedom. He says that freedom has almost become something sacred and holy. He writes, freedom of choice without limits has almost become sacred. Philosophers call this negative freedom because it's freedom from constraints. Don't, don't, put any, don't say I can't do anything. Which they contrast with positive freedom, which is freedom to pursue some good aim. Absolute negative freedom, don't put any restraints on me, in our culture has become a chief moral good. So that the only sin which is not tolerated is intolerance. Now we think of that often in the world around us, but, but we bring those values into the church and into our Christianity, don't we? I have rights. I may do this. Why should what someone else thinks and believes about the Bible affect me? And Paul says, no, believers, freedom is never absolute. There are some other things to consider. Namely, point two, other people, relationships. See, you need to, the goal here in our relationships with one another in the church is to build one another up. This is, this is where things are headed. This is the objective. Uh, you don't want to, Paul says it's not just about your rights, but it's about what is helpful. It's about what is profitable, what will build others up. Look at verse 32 and, and 33. This doesn't uh, just have to do with relationships in the church. Paul says, listen, here's how I do it. I, don't, I, I try not to give offense, right? You can all, you, people can always take offense. <laughs> but it's kind of on us if we're giving offense. Paul says, I do my best not to give offense to anyone, to Jews or Greeks, those would be unbelievers, or to the church of God, to those within. Whether it's people outside the church or whether it's people, my brothers and sisters, inside the church. My goal is to help them, is to be a benefit to other people. My goal is, is their growth, is their edification. You see, once we move into the realm of caring for others, my rights, my freedom, they go in the back seat. Actually, they probably should go all the way into the trunk. See, a lot of times we have... Uh, other goals for people. We'd like to see them do the Christian churchy kind of stuff. Sometimes our goals are things like, well, I really hope they attend church every Sunday. I really hope they complete that Bible study. I really hope they, they drop those bad habits. But all of those things could happen apart from them growing, apart from them being built up in Christ. And so our number one goal for one another, brothers and sisters, and for others who don't know Christ, is that they grow into Christ, that our brothers and sisters are built up into him, that others make movement toward him. Third general guideline for Christian freedom. Freedom's not absolute. Our goal in our relationship should be to build up one another. And then thirdly, the method of accomplishing that goal should be to seek the other's good. Seeking one another's good the good of the other. It's interesting, Paul, um, in verse 24, when he says, but we should be seeking the good of our neighbor. Uh, it literally says the good of the other. It's, it's pushing outside of ourselves. Don't just, don't just think about me and what's happening here. Think about the other. 
and seek their good. That, that term seek, pursue, it's, it's not a, a half-baked, it's not a minimal effort. There, there's diligent pursuit, there's, there's a want, and there's a desire. It makes me think of uh, the, how the Apostle Paul wrote um, to the Colossians about his ministry. He said that, that him, or Christ we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. See, there's the goal, presenting people mature in Christ, working for their maturity. What does that look like? What, what is the, 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 uh, just the whole context and the whole tone of that look like? Paul says, for this, in order to present people mature in Christ, I toil, I struggle with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works for me. Discipling other people is hard work at times, right? Discipling one another is hard work. It, it, it's, um, I wrote this down. Discipleship is not for wimps. Discipleship is not for wimps. There, there's, a, there's a pursuit. There's a toil. There's a struggle for another person's good in Christ. As I was thinking about uh, that, that discipleship is not for wimps, uh, particular face uh, came, came to mind. And don't everybody look at her because she's here today. Her name's Sharon Agee. You probably all know her. But Sharon is very faithful and has been very faithful in the last 12 years serving in the county jail and ministering with her friend Maggie to the inmates there. And, um, you know, if you've ever been inside a jail for any reason, you know that that's a difficult place. That's an oppressive place. And to struggle for someone's uh, discipleship, you, you often don't see the fruit. Uh, they're released or they, they have to go on to state prison, and you just don't know. But as Paul said, some people plant, some people water, but Christ causes the growth. And Sharon's testimony is one of faithfulness, of, of writing to those inmates even after they uh, leave the prison or, or move, leave the jail or move on uh, to prison. Working, struggling, toiling. Friends, that's, that's the attitude of Christ. What did Christ toil to do for our good? What has he done for you? Our attitude needs, needs to be that, that other people, you're not here for my benefit. I'm here for your benefit. That needs to be the attitude of each one of us. You know, guidelines for our Christian freedom, some big picture things to keep in mind. That our freedom is an absolute, that the goal of our relationships is to build others up, and that the method of our relationships should be seeking, toiling, pursuing uh, one another's good. So as we exercise Christian freedom, these should be the, the heart attitudes that guide our actions. Okay, Paul goes on to a specific uh, example, two specific examples here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. And from them, I want to draw out three specific, more specific principles as we think about how do we, how do we live in community with one another? when we don't all agree on what we're free to do and what we might not be free to do as believers. Well, first of all, uh, Paul says, uh, by the way, I, I, if, if I didn't make this point earlier, let me make it 
right now, uh, that when, when uh, Paul says that all things are lawful, he's clearly not talking about things that are forbidden in Scripture. Did I say that? Because it would be really bad if I didn't say that. <laughs> all things not forbidden in Scripture are lawful. Okay, so how do we live within that tension as we, as we live with one another in community? Well, first of all, enjoy your freedom in Christ. We need a, we need a wrist, uh, wristband for that, right? Enjoy your freedom. I'm a believer, and I'm enjoying my freedom in Christ. Listen, your freedom, believer, is real. You have really been set free. Jesus died to set you free, and in whom the Son has set free, he is free indeed. Uh, this doesn't contradict the idea that freedom uh, is an absolute. It's the point that our freedom isn't, isn't a fiction, it's, it's real. And Paul shows this uh, first beginning with the first case in, in um, sort of test case in verse 25. It's the uh, situation of buying meat in the market. He's just told them, don't eat that idol meat in the idol temple. But now he says, you know what? You might run into meat that you don't know what the background of it is when you go to purchase it in the market. Verse 25, hey, eat whatever is sold in the market without raising a question on the ground of conscience. Now, you might raise questions about how fresh it is. You might raise questions about what kind of sauce to serve it in. But don't raise any questions about conscience. Okay, you don't have to ask whether it came from a temple or not, whether it was sacrificed to an idol. You may eat it. You may enjoy it. He even grounds that in Scripture. The, the earth is the Lord's. Everything belongs to God. Everything in it, the fullness thereof. It's, this is the, the goodness of God's creation. Uh, yes, we live in a fallen world, but God's creation was originally good, and so much of that goodness remains, and it's there for us to enjoy to His glory. God is firmly on the throne. He's still ruling over uh, his creation. And as believers, we need to be affirming of the goodness that still remains in God's creation. We need to embrace that. Hey, if you enjoyed something before you came to Christ, and it's not forbidden in Scripture, then you ought to enjoy it even more with Jesus, right? And so your freedom is real. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Secondly, and this is kind of the flip side, same point, but sort of the other side of the coin, do not unnecessarily limit your freedom. Don't unnecessarily uh, limit your freedom. Verse 27 uh, is another case. Okay, this could happen. You could be invited by an unbeliever to dinner. Now, first of all, just right there, just, just as an aside. Uh, Paul, I think, is affirming that we ought to have relationships with those who don't know Christ. And to the extent that we're in one another's lives, that we're inviting one another uh, to spend time together and doing things like have dinner. And Paul says, hey, I expect that unbelievers are going to invite you to dinner. And, you know, if, if you want to go hang out with them, by all means. And then the same thing. Don't, don't ask questions about what's being served on the ground of, of conscience. You can ask other questions about what's being served, but you don't have to ask questions and, and say, hey, could I see your receipt where that, that meat came from? Uh, do you have the label uh, from the package? No, don't, don't, don't be over-scrupulous. 
Don't tie yourself up in knots thinking, is there, is there any reason why I wouldn't want to eat this? Did this? Was this even close to being sacrificed to an idol? You may eat it. In fact, you may eat it to God's glory. Look at verse uh, 29 at the end of 20, or I'm sorry. Yeah, at the end of 29, Paul says, he's going to say in a second, it has to do with conscience, but not yours. Because you're free. Why should, Paul says, why should my liberty as a believer be determined by someone else's conscience? The fact that somebody else doesn't, can't do that in good conscience doesn't mean I can't enjoy it. Now, Paul's going to talk about why you might want to, not just might want to, you will want to limit your freedom. But, but just the fact that somebody else does, can't do that in good conscience is not a reason in and of itself for you not doing it. Paul says, listen, if I can partake in something with thankfulness, why should I be denounced for that which I give thanks? It's interesting, uh, the first word that gets translated thankfulness, uh, at least in the ESV, in verse 30, if I partake with thankfulness, it's actually the word for grace there. I think the King James keeps this understanding of it. Uh, If I can participate by grace. In other words, because of Jesus' grace in my life, because of what God has done in graciously redeeming me, I can participate in that with thankfulness. The fact that someone else's conscience is binding on that doesn't have to bind my conscience. We can't get into what was happening in with the Colossians. And Paul had to say this to them. They, they, had all, they were beginning to make rules about what you, could, what you could eat and what you couldn't eat and what you should do. And it was all with the idea that if you did or didn't do these things, you were better Christians and just that that very fact brought you closer to Jesus. And Paul wrote to them in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world... Why do you, as if you were still alive in the world, why do you submit to to regulations? Don't handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to the human precepts and teachings. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-promotion and self-made, promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, creating rules that make me feel like I'm a, I'm a better Christian, uh, they, really have no, they, they really have no help in my sanctification. They, they really don't stop me from indulging my flesh. Sometimes I think we look, especially as evangelical believers, and look at the two extremes of, of legalism creating rules that aren't in the Bible, and license kind of being wide open to a lot of stuff. And we say, well, well, that's the worst. The license thing is worse. At least with the rules, you're not doing the stuff. I think God's word is a corrective equally to both and says that, that both are, are wrong responses. Both are not godly responses. If we tend to... We tend to favor, maybe I'm speaking personally here, we tend to favor legalism. And yet Paul, writing here and writing to the Colossians, says, you know what, we can create a bunch of rules 
but it won't stop us from indulging our flesh. And we all know, we all know the stories of the, the kid who grew up in church. Boy, they seem to clean cut, seem to have it all together, involved in all kinds of stuff, and they go off to college and what? They go, they go nuts. Fully indulging in the world. And there can be a lot of reasons for that. A lot of reasons. But sometimes it's because that kid was just told, here are the rules. And they, they, for, and they ended up understanding that being a follower of Jesus is following a bunch of rules and not understanding what was behind those rules. And that any rule that we follow is out of a response of love to our Savior. And so now the rules are gone and I'm doing my own thing. Equally dangerous, license on the one side or legalism on the other. And God's word today wants to keep us focused on Christ, focused on loving one another, focused on using our freedom and even limiting our freedom for the sake of others. That's the third principle here on Christian freedom. Self-limit your freedom only for the sake of another. There will be times that you will, as a believer, the right response will be to limit your freedom. But it's only for the sake of another person. Their spiritual well-being. In the example that Paul gives here where the unbeliever has invited the believer uh, to a dinner... It's actually the unbeliever's uh, conscience, or, or it may in this case mean their, their moral consciousness that has been pricked. So the believer, the, the case that Paul is giving here, sort of the hypothetical example, is the believer has been invited to dinner at the home of an unbeliever, uh, doesn't ask about the meat, doesn't care that it's been sacrificed to an idol. Even if he knows it's been sacrificed to an idol, he can eat it in good conscience. But, but, but somebody else at the dinner party, an unbeliever, says, hey, you know, you're a Christian. I know you guys are different. Uh, you're not supposed to eat that, right? And, and that's been sacrificed to an idol. And Paul is saying, you know what, believer, even though you have in, can in good conscience eat it, don't. For the sake of that person's conscience. For the sake of their moral understanding. To help them understand the, the, the distinctness of the follower of Jesus Christ. And it applies beyond that of unbelievers. And maybe for us, more pertinently, it, it applies to our relationships with one, with one another. Paul says in verse 32, I don't want to give offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. That there are those times when there, maybe it's one of the things on the list. <laughs> it's interesting, I gave you a list at the beginning of this message. Maybe it's one of those things on that list that you feel absolutely free about but you know you're going to be in the presence of a brother or sister whose conscience isn't free on that case. And Paul is saying, because you love them, because you want to build them up, because you want to do as profitable and helpful for you, because, because of Jesus, it's not about your rights. It's not about what I get to do. Then you're going to limit your freedom in those situations. You're going to love your brother. You're going to love your sister. You're going to act, not just love them in theory, but love them in reality. As the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 3.18, Little children, do not love in word or talk, but love in deed and in truth. Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 5, For you were called to freedom, 
brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I'd encourage you to take a look at Romans chapter 14 as you think about how to work this out. Paul addresses some of these same issues, talking about the weaker brother and the stronger brother in terms of their conscience. Now, there's, again, there's not slam-dunk rules on this. There are principles and realities of God's Word that we need to apply. Principles for Christian freedom. Enjoy your freedom in Christ. Do not unnecessarily limit your Christian freedom and self-limit your freedom only for the sake of another. So how free are we? We're so free that we would gladly set aside our rights for another. Now Paul is going to blow the whole lid off of this thing. He's going to go from, you guys remember Pong? Anybody play Pong in the 70s? The video game, the little things that go ping and go Pong, uh, back and forth. Okay, he's going to take us from playing Pong. He's just given us some, some good Pong principles. He's going to hand us the controller to an Xbox 360. I mean, he is blowing the lid way off of this thing. One ruling reality for all of life. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Whatever you do, anything, that, that covers it all. Your goal should be that God is glorified. It ought to be done to the glory of God. To the glory of God. Now, there, there is a, as churchy a term as you're going to find. I mean, that's good Christianese, to the glory of God. What does that mean? What exactly is God's glory? Well, we see God's glory manifest in the Bible in, in, in sort of almost a physical way uh, many times through brightness. We talk about God's glory, that this brightness that people would see, this brightness that, that Moses was exposed to uh, when he received the Ten Commandments. Uh, the brightness of Jesus at the transfiguration. But, but that's just a, it's just a token. That's just a, a picture for us of, of the reality. Uh, God's glory is his praiseworthiness. Uh, God's glory is his, his supremacy in all the things. His, his unique praiseworthiness, that, that God isn't just good, he is infinitely good. And God isn't just powerful, he is all-powerful. And God isn't just wise, he is all-wise. And God isn't just merciful, he is all-merciful. And God isn't just holy, he is completely other. He is the most praiseworthy, glorious being in the universe. And for a person to, to glorify God, or to bring glory to God. We don't bring glory to God in the sense of adding to his glory. But we bring glory to God in the sense of, of drawing attention away to ourselves and to the greatness and the grandeur of our God. And so what Paul is saying here, that, that whatever you do, all the aspects of your life, all, all the minute details, everything, there is an opportunity to draw attention, to magnify the greatness of of God and show others the greatness and the praiseworthiness of our God in, in all of the details and to do it all for the advantage or the profit of others, to serve others so that they would flourish. 
And so, friends, everything that we do can be done to the glory of God and to the well-being, for the well-being of others. In fact, I would encourage you, this is maybe a little, little bit of homework. As you go to lunch today with those you sit down at lunch, think, pick something really, because this says everything, right? Whatever you do. Pick just a very common everyday activity you do and talk to one another about what would it mean to, to, to glorify God, to magnify the greatness of God in that, in that activity? What, what does it mean to, to eat breakfast to the glory of God? Uh, what does it mean to do your schoolwork to the glory of God? What does it mean to drive to the... No, don't do that one. Um, every little thing we do can be done to the glory of God. It's going to be very real and practical for us. This was God's goal for humanity from the very beginning. When he created the heavens and the earth and called them good and then created humanity and called them very good and gave them, gave them a task and gave them jobs and vocation of caring for his creation, creating culture and creating them in his own image so that the image of God would be spread through all of, all of creation. That was God's goal in creation. It was God's goal for humanity that we would glorify God, that everything we do would draw the attention to his greatness. And our fall, our fall into sin was a rebellion against our good God and a desire to draw the attention away from him, to take things into our own hands, to be our own arbiters of what is right and what is wrong. And Jesus came. Jesus came to turn that around. Jesus came to, 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 to take on our sin, to die in our place, so that the image of God, the reflection of his greatness, could be remade and renewed and restored in us. You see, Jesus came for our profit. Jesus came for our advantage that we might be saved and that we might, we might look more like him, that we might imitate him. Paul says, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Imitate me to the degree that I imitate Jesus. Serving others for their profit. Earlier this week, uh, Jeff Johnson and I had the opportunity to, to um, go to breakfast with, um, have some coffee with uh, Milan and, and Dzenka, and really enjoyed hearing about their ministry. Uh, it's exciting to hear what God is doing in the Czech Republic. And I asked them about this message coming up in the church in, in uh, the Czech Republic. Are there any activities like this where one Christian will say, I'm free to do that, and another Christian will say, I'm not free to do that, and there can be some tension. And big smiles came to their face like, oh yeah, we deal with that all the time too. Uh, people are people uh, wherever you go. And they began to tell me a story of where they had a deal with uh, that very thing, where a young woman in their church invited them to a, a performance, an acting performance that she was going to be part of. And they said yes. And then they found out that it was going to be at this club 
that Christians typically do not go to. And they didn't know what to do, but they really wanted to love their sister, and so they decided to, to cautiously go, and if there was something uh, that they shouldn't be involved in, they wouldn't stay, but they were going to go. And so they went, and uh, they found out that it wasn't quite all what the reputation that people made it out to be. And they also found out that there were several folks from their church there who were a little bit surprised uh, to see their pastor <laughs> and his wife uh, in that particular place. But they went there, and they took in the performance, and it was very well done. And afterwards, the young woman uh, came to them and just was thanking them and was so glad that they were there, and she began to introduce them uh, to others who were in the, other of the actors that were in the performance uh, who are not believers and saying, hey, this is my pastor. Hey, this is my pastor's wife. We're part of City Church. I just think that's a great example of, of using our freedom to build up someone, or build up a sister in Christ and using our freedom as a witness to the world around. Now, maybe next time it'll be an example of limiting freedom for those very same purposes. But this is what God has called us to, friends. It's a picture of the transforming work of the gospel in, in everyday life, using our freedom for the profit, for the good of others. This is Jesus. This is the way Jesus lived. Remember, Jesus was the most free human being, the most free being in the universe. And yet he gladly laid down his life to secure the freedom of his enemies. Our freedom. And so we, we, don't, we don't keep track of, of gain and loss, of profit and loss, uh, the way the world does. Listen to how Paul puts it in Philippians uh, chapter 3. Whatever I, whatever I gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I'll set my freedom aside and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering becoming like him in his death, that by all means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your giving up of your rights, your rights to, to be the center of attention, to be the one receiving all of the praise in the universe in order to become human like us, in order to take on our sin, in order to die to secure our freedom and our liberty. We pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, would make us more and more able to lay down our lives, to set aside our rights, to live in our freedom not to indulge ourselves, but our freedom to serve one another, our freedom to, to build up one another so that one another are formed more and more into your image. 
and so that we all might glorify you, and so that all the glory would go to you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. For joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K I S H Bible.org.